Early in the morning, on the 8th of December 2018, a large queue was forming in Belfast city centre. Some of the crowd were interviewed. One woman said, it's like Christmas coming early. I'm ecstatic. Another woman said, oh brilliant, can't wait to get into it. I'll tear the place asunder. You'll probably remember, but after a four month closure, 1,000 people lined up for the reopening of Primark, albeit in a different building. Maybe you thought that it was strange or that it was almost something comical about how people longed for and got excited about something so normal. But does it look familiar now? We've seen the queues for McDonald's, for B&Q, for Ikea. And whether we're queuing or not, I'm sure that there's something that you miss. I have been surprised by how much I'm longing for my favourite food places to reopen, for a haircut and for a spin class, probably in that order. But why do we, know, why do we long for these little normal things? Maybe, maybe it's because there's something in us that wants to restore a bit of order, a bit of normality, familiarity or comfort. Or maybe it's because we're drawn to things that distract us from ourselves and from the world around us. But let me ask you this. If things were back to normal, if this pandemic which we are living through ceased immediately, would things be right? Now I'm not asking if things would be better because of course they would. Our hearts break to see death, to see sickness, to see suffering, mental, physical, spiritual, financial, to see families and community communities separated. No, I'm not asking if things would be better. I'm asking if things would be right. And I think the answer is no. Because whilst we're longing for those little things that make up our day-to-day -to, -day to return, there's something in us that groans for more than normality. All we need to do is look around us. What breaks your heart? What makes you angry? What leaves you disillusioned? Is it injustice, poor leadership, sickness, poverty, poor stewardship of the earth, or maybe just your own perceived inadequacy? The new normal is a phrase that has been used a lot in the news recently, used for what is now and what is to come as we journey through this crisis we're in. But I think the world, and I think our hearts are groaning for something more than a recycled version of normality. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about this sort of groaning, the sort of longing that those that follow Jesus have. Let's read God's word together. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, 
He has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We thank God for his word and how it still speaks to us today. How important is context? Tie your left leg to the right leg of somebody who is a similar height and run as fast as you can. This is sound advice for the three-legged race, but would probably be really weird and frankly impractical advice to live your everyday life by. A hog roast seems like a great idea for a gathering, but it probably wouldn't be the best choice for the annual meeting of the Vegetarian Society. Or a snorkel and flippers, Perfect attire for deep sea diving, but if you showed up to a black tie event wearing it, you'd probably be asked to leave. Context is important. Certain behaviours, lessons, advice only make full sense when we understand the bigger picture, when we understand the reality that we are operating in. We should bear this in mind when we think of the teachings of Jesus. What is the bigger pictures? What is the bigger picture of the behaviours he calls us into? In what context and under what reality does loving your enemy or blessing those that persecute you make sense? The bigger picture is, of course, the kingdom of God. If we want to know more about following the way of Jesus and we overlook the kingdom of God, we completely miss the point. The kingdom of God, often referred to as the kingdom of heaven, is a theme running throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, and it is central to Jesus' teaching. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus refers to the kingdom of God over 50 times, and in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one of the first things Jesus says in his adult life is, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Or as the message translation puts it, change your life. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus is saying something is in your midst and it is life-changing. Ironically, when something is repeated loads in the Bible, we often become desensitized to it. When we're familiar with something, we often don't question it. When in reality, if something is mentioned loads in the Bible, it's important and we can never learn too much about it. So while you may have heard loads of things about the kingdom of God, I ask that you receive this message with grace in the hope that you learn something new. And even if you gain nothing from what I say today, I hope that you see this as an invitation to revisit the teachings on the kingdom of God for yourself. This morning, I want us to consider three things about the kingdom of God. This thing that Paul says we are groaning for. What is the kingdom of God? How well do we know the king? And what should we do? What do you think of when you think of the kingdom of God? Well, when we think of a kingdom, 
it's easy to think of a place. But we need to think bigger than this. One scholar puts it like this, the kingdom of God is his kingship, his rule, his authority. So while we may think of the kingdom of God as a noun, we should also think of it a bit like a verb. It's God's reign. It's how he's ruling. One of the most well-known and recited references to the kingdom of God is the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let's get rid of this idea of heaven as a big place in the sky where God is chilling out on a cloud with a harp. No. Heaven is transcendent and when it's used in the Bible, it's often used for God himself. But in the context of this prayer, when we read of heaven, let's think of it more like God's space. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer suggests that our space, earth, is different to God's space. It's asking God's space to overlap with our space and make things right. And if we yearn for this, we yearn for this because this is the way things are supposed to be, isn't it? Let's look back to the Garden of Eden. This is how things started. The Garden of Eden is a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly this beautiful place of overlap where God wanted mankind to partner with him in creating a flourishing world. But we know how the story goes. We wanted to create our own world apart from him. Think of the scripture we have just read. This is at the heart of the longing Paul talks about. He writes, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. This desire for God's world to overlap and eclipse earth is seen again when Paul writes that we we want what is normal, what, what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. And this isn't just a nice idea. It isn't just a hope. Paul writes here that it will be guaranteed. Revelation talks about how God's kingdom will come fully to earth as it is in heaven when Jesus returns, when everything we are groaning for and longing for will arrive. When, as the Jesus story book Bible phrases it, everything that's sad will become untrue. In his book, The Holy Longing, Ronald Rollheiser says this, in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Our deep longings are never really satisfied. What this means, among other things, is that we are not restful creatures who sometimes get restless, fulfilled people who sometimes are dissatisfied, serene people who sometimes experience disquiet. Rather, we are restless people who occasionally find rest, dissatisfied people who occasionally find fulfillment, and disquieted people who occasionally find serenity. We do not naturally default into rest, satisfaction and quiet, but into their opposites. This might sound a bit bleak, but this is hope. If symphonies remain unfinished in this life and our longing, like those Paul speaks of, are never fully met in this life, we can still hold on to the promise that one day they will. 
At a time when the world never seemed more fragile, this is certainly what the gospel calls good news. But this raises a big question. What about the elephant in the room? Or maybe more appropriate for the time we're in, what about the elephant standing two metres away in your front garden? The big question of, what about the kingdom now? And the gospel says, in the gospels, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. How can this be true? Well, the kingdom of God is both a future hope and a present reality. Some scholars say that we live in what is the now and the not yet. The scholar N.T. Wright says the early church was living in the overlap of the ages, which could still said to be true today. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection were not a defeat, but an enthronement. Jesus was enthroned as king, and his kingdom is inaugurated, not, but not fully realised until he comes again. It's inaugurated, but not fully realised. It's here, but it's not here in its fullness. It's now, and it's to come. In the scripture we just read, Paul writes that God has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. This is the kingdom life post-Pentecost. The spirit of God is a deposit of not only what is now, but what is to come. But what do we do with this? This looks like the biggest cop-out ever, but this is such a massive topic. Jesus is constantly saying the kingdom of God is like through his parables and showing what the kingdom of God is like through his miracles and teachings and interactions with others. This topic is so rich. And as I've said before, I don't think we can ever stop learning about the kingdom of God. So my main encouragement is for you to revisit the Gospels and being guided by the Spirit, ask God what the kingdom of God in your life looks like. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12 says, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The nature of the kingdom of God is proclaimed in scripture and post-Pentecost, the spirit of God gives us understanding of scripture. That said, as I've already laid out, I would like us to briefly look at two questions. How well do you know the king and what should we do? Firstly, how well do we know the king? This very weekend, a year ago, when concerts were allowed, I was standing in Dublin watching Fleetwood Mac perform live. And I was reminiscing about it this week as I was prepping this. And I was listening to some of their songs and a line that I've probably heard 100 times before caught me off guard. I heard it in a new way. Now don't worry, I'm not about to launch into some cringy gospel according to Stevie Nicks, but it was just this one line. O myrrh in the sky, what is love? That's the line. O myrrh in the sky, what is love? I thought, wow, when I heard it. I thought, how often do I do that? How often do I approach God, viewing him just as a reflection of myself? From the very first page of the Bible, God makes it clear that we are made in his image. He's not made in ours. I don't know if you've listened to the This Cultural Moment podcast, but in it, 
church leader um, and author Mark Sayers says this of the post-Christian culture we live in in the West today. He says, we want the kingdom without the king. Our culture hungers for justice, it hungers for righteousness, reconciliation, peace, wholeness, but it doesn't want the king whose reign brings them. Because there's an illusion of freedom and not having to answer to anyone. If someone believes the good news of the Gospels, if they are practicing the way of Jesus, they will want the kingdom with the king. As a follower of Jesus, I often think I have this part sorted. Okay, I want the kingdom, I need the king, I know the king is Jesus, great. But I think a really really challenging question to ask is how well do we know this king? Because there's a difference between knowing who the king is and knowing what he is like. So much of how we steward the kingdom and how we live in the kingdom is based on how well we understand the king. Is God just a bigger, shinier version of me if I was a really good person? It makes me think of that famous quote, God created man in his own image and man, being a gentleman, returned the favour. In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson writes, the central reality for Christians is the personal, unalterable, preserving commitment persevering commitment God makes to us. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It is the result of God's faithfulness. We survive in the way of faith, not because we have extraordinary stamina, but because God is righteous, because God sticks with us. Last week, we heard about the importance of acknowledging our limitations. We are limited, but our God is not. He is not this mirror in the sky. Because we are limited, we need the reign of a king who has no limits. He is persevering and who sticks with us. The Holy Spirit is described in the Bible as an advocate, the helper, the comforter, the intercessor. Post-Pentecost, how comforting to know that all these things are without limits. How well do you know the king? Secondly, what should we do? One of Jesus' most famous teachings is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with what have come to be known now as the Beatitudes. You know the verses. They capture perfectly the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. They're both in the present and the future tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And in it, Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God is coming to all of the least likely people. This is a now and this is to come, but it's guaranteed. I was recently in London and one day I was on the tube and somebody whipped out what was very clearly a pew Bible from the rucksack and started reading it. And they were absolutely engrossed by what they were reading. And my first thought when I saw this was, it couldn't be. I was in absolute denial until I saw the big cross in front of the book. Jesus showed that the kingdom of God comes to those that were least expected. 
And that's easy to read and believe until we see it for ourselves, especially those we least expect. I believe the kingdom of God is for everyone. But in that moment, when I saw that Bible on the tube, I felt convicted. Because while I think it's for everyone, I have so many assumptions about who wouldn't be interested, about who wouldn't want to receive it. The poor in spirit, those that mourn, the meek, those that hunger for thirst, then thirst for righteousness, merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is who Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to. But it's also who Jesus brings the kingdom of God to. It's who he healed, who he formed community around, who he served when he was on earth. Are we doing the same? You might be thinking, this is a bad time to be asking that. We're in lockdown, don't be ridiculous. And I get it, I totally get it. But firstly, I'd like to challenge us to focus on who we can serve right now rather than who we can't. Who is in front of me? Who can I share the kingdom life with? And secondly, this is a really good time for recalibrating. As we're transitioning into this new normal, what do you want your new normal to look like? Who do you want to serve? Who do you want to honour? Who do you want to show the kingdom of God to? Pentecost Sunday was a few weeks ago. And while we may feel inspired and empowered by what this means for us today, it's very easy to let normality creep in. For normality to eclipse the kingdom life when really we're called to partner with the kingdom life as it invades normality. Speaking on the Beatitudes, John Mark Comer makes two really helpful points. He says, if we're reading this and thinking, some of these things don't apply to us. I'm not hungry. I'm not poor. Our response shouldn't be guilt, but thankfulness. And we should ask ourselves, how am I leveraging what I have for those that don't? The kingdom comes to us, but it also comes through us. How am I blessing others? How am I bringing the kingdom? But maybe this list seems all too real. Maybe one or maybe all of the things in these lists are relevant to you. To this, the second point he makes is, we're not blessed in spite of our pain, but amidst it. We're not blessed in spite of our pain, but amidst it. This is really difficult, not only to, to understand, but to live in the reality of. He points out that often in the Gospels, people come in contact with Jesus and their practical circumstances aren't really changed. They come to Jesus purr and they go away still purr. They come grieving and they leave probably still grieving, but they've met Jesus. They know what life is because they've met the king and they've tasted the kingdom. Jesus doesn't overlook our pain, he sees it. He meets us in it and he blesses us amidst it. Are we letting him in? You may have heard of the poet Mary Oliver. 
She was not a Christian, but has been described as a lifelong spiritual seeker. God can speak through all things and all people, and I and many others have seen glimpses of what the kingdom of God is like through her writing. This is one of her poems, Making the House Ready for the Lord. Dear Lord, I have swept and I have washed, but still nothing is as shining as it should be for you. Under the sink, for example, is an uproar of mice. It is a season of their many children. What should I do? And under the eaves and through the walls, the squirrels have gnawed their ragged entrances, but it is a season when they need shelter. So what shall I do? And the raccoon limps into the kitchen and opens the cupboard while the dog snores and the cat hugs the pillow. What shall I do? Beautiful is the new snow falling in the yard and the fox who is staring boldly up the path to the door. And still I believe you will come, Lord. You will. When I speak to the fox, the sparrow, the lost dog, the shivering sea goose, know that really I am speaking to you whenever I say, as I do all morning and afternoon, come in, come in. God isn't looking for perfection for his kingdom to come. He's looking for a response and an invitation. George Eldon Glad says this, our responsibility is not to save the world. We are not to be discouraged when evil times come. However, we have a message of power to take the world. It is the gospel of the kingdom. It is not our responsibility to save the world but it is our responsibility to share the kingdom. Come in, come in. How are we offering this invitation to those that the gospel says the kingdom of God is for? Matthew 25 says that Jesus presented in the parable as the king says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. How are we serving the least? The closing phrase of this poem reminds me of the closing parts of the Bible. In Revelation 22, he who testifies these things says, yes, I am coming. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The things Jesus calls us to only make sense when we view them in the context of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, but it's also coming. We have been given a spirit as a deposit for what is guaranteed. It is the reign of a God who has no limitations, who perseveres and sticks with us. It's a reign for right now and a reign for the future. For now and the future, for every part of your life, for the big and the small, are we asking, kingdom of God, reign of God, come in, come in.